Remember, here we are back in the show. Oh, go ahead. Remember the coop, huh? <laughs> the coop. So Alice Cooper ends his uh, oh, so long oh. farewell song. Oh hey, God. don't make a stranger yourself. Obscure. Remember the coop, huh? There is an obscure reference. We're back in the shed again for episode 117. Rich is trying to interrupt me for the second time as I do this intro. I'm not going to let him. Well, we're going to do the intro and we're going to have this episode. So I hope you guys are ready because I certainly am. And if I stop talking, I know Rich is going to jump in. So I'm not going to stop until the episode starts. Here we go. Belt yourself in. We're going to have some fun. Um, I just had a rando foolish question and... I don't think anybody's going to have a lot of trouble imagining how this question came to my mind, but it was whether or not anybody's seen anything anywhere in any of the media that they pursue that indicates a rise in charges, misdemeanor charges for public urination. And the reason it came to mind, aside from the obvious one, is when you think about it, restaurants and all kinds of different places uh, don't allow access to their washrooms anymore. And if you think about it, you will probably remember that very often when you went to a restaurant and sat down, somebody at your table, the first thing they do after the order where they was placed, go to the washroom. Well, you can't do that anymore. You go there, you pick up, and however far away you drove from, you got to drive back. I just wondered, anybody see anything? Are you saying they're closed because of COVID? The washrooms are closed? Oh. Yeah, they're, they're no dine-in service, so they're sure not going to spend money cleaning out their washrooms. Oh, right. And, of course, there's a lot of people on the like commercial drive on the sidewalks who are drinking, not necessarily yeah. eating. They're drinking outdoors, and yeah. maybe they've got a, weather... a pee bucket underneath the table. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I just don't know. Now, those ones where they have outdoor service, I'm, I'm sure they are spending the money keeping their washrooms clean and open. But there's lots of others where you can only do takeout and they don't have outside seating. Right. And you're just done, you know, like you can't do it. And lots of other places too, I believe, just close their washrooms because they want to discourage, they just want to save the money. Sorry, our washrooms are closed. You see that uh, Starbucks, you know, you got to go into Starbucks to pick up a coffee. Their washrooms are closed. Just an idle little Mm. thing that I wondered about. No, I mean, hopefully... Nobody's getting in trouble for that because a lot of people are in a situation where they don't have those alternatives. Yeah. And in our demographic, the uh, urgency around that question is often much greater than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, um, the parks for, remember all the parks, uh, were ordered to shut their washrooms down. They've since relaxed that because I think they realize that it's not a high risk area because you're not in there for all that long. And, as long as everybody's wearing masks, I think it's fairly low risk. But uh, And uh, KJ, you weighed in on this question when you saw it in our list with some pictures from a trip to England, I believe. Well, we went down to Soho one night and Soho was just a, I don't remember what it was when I was there. I don't even know if I went down there. I thought it was kind of a sort of a pseudo theater district in 75. Maybe it was, but now it's just all the youngsters and the bars and just packed, just packed like... I think I was down there and it was like three in the morning and like just everywhere. But they've got those as uh, uh, I'm sure you guys will post. They've got these outdoor, you know, you just turn your back to the crowd and you can pee in these outdoors. There's a kind of a six cubicle thing in a, in a round, something like that. Yeah. And it's very handy. I mean, 
for guys. I mean, for guys, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, didn't see any female uh, counterpart to that. Ooh, mm-hmm. uh, so That's a bit rough. That's a bit rough. Yeah, so I don't. Maybe they, maybe they are the ones who they take over the washrooms in the restaurants, and uh, right. the guys just go. To, <laughs> I don't know, but I found it very convenient. Let me tell you. Yeah. Well, they put those up in Paris. I think they had those in the late eighteen hundreds. They had those, you know, and they still have them public urinals. But they have a sort of a screen around the outside, so you don't even have to see the back of the person who's uh, using it. Hmm. But the ones you sent us pictures of. You're looking right at the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just got. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and the picture shows that uh, your privacy is indeed protected, but still, yeah. you're right there. Not for everyone, I guess. Well, I know quite a few places on Commercial Drive where there is uh, outdoor public urination. I mean, there's yeah. a few choice spots that I oh that has been used just now, or you know. Yeah. The likelihood is that the police, if they ever were going to issue very many tickets for that, have relaxed even that, knowing that people have fewer choices than they used to. And you probably have to try pretty hard to get a ticket for doing that. So, PJ, you have something on the list here about front-end loaders. What's what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't decide whether to go with it or not with it. It came into my mind at the same time as that whole conversation we just had about uh, public urination which reminded me of urea and urea is fertilizer and it's processed in plants. And I worked in a urea fertilizer plant just outside of Calgary Karsten. for a couple of summers. Yeah, Karsten, that's correct. And I was reflecting on some of the work I was asked to do out there. And one of the things I got asked to do was they had a big settling pond and it was pretty big. It was like about a quarter mile square. And they started having a problem because the wind in the prairies always blows in one direction. And one end of this thing was getting eroded badly by the waves lapping up against the bank, right? So they press their like 18 or 19-year-old summer guy into service running a front-end loader with just this string of uh, dump trucks with gravel in them waiting. And they'd, they'd come up and dump and I'd have to, you know, smooth it onto the top of the dike and down the side and you know like uh, up until this day i've spent maybe 10 minutes behind the wheel of an articulated front end loader and i just got to thinking i wonder if they would do that kind of thing nowadays i don't know if they would or not because i mean i just about got that i had to get pulled out of the out of the muck once with a what they call a cherry picker you know i just had to drag this loader because i was stuck I've got like 10 contractors with dump trucks full of dirt lined up and they're just waiting on me to get this stuff <laughs> spread out and packed down into some. And I just thought, as I think about it now, in retrospect, I think, what were they thinking of? That was an expensive day and they have me driving that thing. They must have been insane. I just, I don't know what that's, that's all it was. It was just. Well, it's funny you should mention that. I mean, I actually had a summer job that was dedicated to, to that, not in the, I didn't run the equipment, but Ford and Cole near Elkford in the Elk Valley in BC has a, uh, a tailings pond. And I was actually on Google earth about a month ago and that tailings pond still there, which I'm pleased about. <laughs> 
Because yeah. the tailings pond is basically where they dump the, uh, I guess you could call it slurry or some kind of like yep. after processing the coal, there's some leftovers and it's still, it's all black and it still has some carbon in it and whatnot. So they dump that in the middle of a pond and the pond actually gets higher and higher as the solids settle to the bottom. And so you have to build a wall around the pond and uh, it's called the tailings dike. Is that the same term that they would have used? Yeah. Yes. And so uh, my job as a summer student was simply to measure the density of that dike. And uh, what would happen was the guys would bring the trucks full of also spent rock. So the other Mm -hmm. kind of tailing, just rock that was not worth putting through the process of uh, any, and then they put that along the dike and then a compactor would come along. So that's what you were doing that day was compacting using a not very scientific method. Just using the front end loader, just drive it back and just ridiculous. And and you had to get it right enough that you could trust a gravel truck to back out along it. You know, like he had to go out to the end of whatever I had made to dump his next load. So I had to have it packed enough just... Like, like I said, just insane. I don't know what they were thinking of. Yeah, so they'd run this compactor over it, and then my job was to go out there. After the compactor is done, I would dig a little hole, a small hole, like the size of a coffee can. And then I would invert this uh, container of sand over it, you know, like an hourglass, like the top part of an hourglass, uh, yeah. about a foot high. And then I would open the cock, which is the valve, and the, and that would let the sand fill that hole. And it would also fill the little uh, cone that would let up to the valve. And so I knew the density of the sand, and I would weigh this contraption before I did it and after I did it. So I would know how much sand filled the hole. I'd know the volume of the cone. So out of all that and knowing the density of the sand, I could tell you precisely the volume of the little hole that I had dug. In addition, I dug that stuff out of the hole, and guess what I put it in? A coffee can. (laughs) That's why I always think of a coffee can. So then I would take that back to the lab and weigh it. And so now we know the volume of the hole, the weight of the can, and what is, how compact, what's the density of that, of the dike. And I'd also, I'd also. The difference is air spaces, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'd also have to dry out that uh, material. Yeah. Because it's going to dry. Exactly. So you're going to want to know how compact is it in terms of dryness? Like, because once the water goes away, it might all fall apart. But uh, anyway, I thought that was a cool little job. I was interested in math and just the basic math of calculating stuff. Uh, And it was was a cushy job. I think the fact that my dad was heading HR may have had something to do with what an awesome little job I got working for George, who I already knew heading up there with my little spoon and the coffee thing and all these anyway. So, well, I haven't had PTSD about that loader job. It was only a one day thing, but it was extremely stressful for me at the time. I can tell you that. I just, well, I'm impressed. I I never uh, ever heard that you ever drove a front end loader. I I just think that's great. And it was just, and like I was supposed to, there was a fence on one side too to keep cattle from going up the side of the bank to get a drink out of this horrible settling pond. And I was supposed to try to preserve, so I'm going along on this 
top of this dike with an articulated loader to it. Like it oh, bends yeah. in the middle and I'm trying to back up and go. I just trashed that fence. They must have had to rebuild <laughs> half of it. Um, I'm, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure I've told you guys this before, but because you both have tailing pond stories, I'm going to tell you mine. So at Lornex in Logan Lake, I was on the yard gang, I guess. The summer I bought my truck. And me and Guido <laughs> got to go out into the tailings pond, a big one, and in a rowboat. And we had markers on the sides of the pond that were set up uh, a certain distance apart. And we would line up with those and cross the pond in every whatever, uh, I don't know, 50, 10 feet, 30 feet, we would drop a little depth charger <clears throat> on a rope and we would measure it. And when it hit the bottom, we'd measure and we just to give us a, a picture of the bottom of the tailings pond to see how deep it was there, how uh, how it was getting deeper or not deeper, depending on which way you went. It, yeah, another evenly distributed. Another uh, beautiful, cushy job. Nice. You know, like out on the water, of course. No, the Lorna, it wasn't stinky water. It wasn't very attractive. But uh, anyway, that's my tanning pond story. How did you know that you had gone 10 feet or 15 or whatever the prescribed distance was? Well, I think we had markers along the shore and we were going from side to side and we could just kind of line it, like just do it. We eyeball it, of course, right? Okay. So we're going between two markers straight across the lake parallel to the shore and we'd go to yep. the next thing. It was, yeah, and we made a little graph and everything. So, yeah, so that's, fun. that's, I thought, I figured you would end up with the most heavily manually created contour map of the bottom of the pond. Yeah. That's the exact same. Uh, all three of these uh, stories had the exact same objective was you don't want this thing to ever break. Yeah. And because yeah. then you're going to have those tailings are just going to flood some valley somewhere. And we've seen in the news in the last several years, if, Couple of those very famously have let go and really done yeah. some horrible it was not damage. Like the Mount Pauly line, uh, yeah, miners. Yeah. Yeah. Nice job, yeah. nice job, RJ. So nobody paid for that. Yeah, the cleanup and yeah. no, yeah, the the Lornex one would have gone not very far, probably less than a mile, right into the Fraser. Now, were you working at Lornex? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, I was a uh, labor. I worked there for two and a half years. Um, doing basic grunt work. Um, in fact, that was what got me into computers was uh, just one day I was shoveling those steel balls that they use in the mills. Uh, and I was going, I'm getting too old for this. And I was like 23, <laughs> <laughs> 24 maybe. Well, and it's funny too, you know, that, that watershed moment where you suddenly realize you don't want to do this for the rest of your life. Shoveling steel balls, cleaning track crossings in the wintertime. Yeah. Same sort of thing. It just suddenly just think, I don't want to wait 35 years before I get an inside job. I have to take some kind of action. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. Office jobs are the best. And when you when you get to the, well, maybe acting is even better. But when you, when you get to that point where you're going, God, the politics around here is bad. Or, geez, I'm getting a whole bunch of stress around finishing something doing some useless work that's clearly not required. All you have to do is think back to those days, <laughs> shoveling steel balls. And you go, you know, this is pretty, this is great. 
<laughs> I get in the morning, I pour myself a coffee, I spend an hour doing emails, I'll reply to this, I'll just, it's actually pretty decent work. So, you know, listeners, if you're getting down about some work in the office, just remember that. Um, can I do a, a follow-up on something we did some time ago? Just a real quick one? Yes. Um, remember our little dream sequence that we talked about dreams and... Oh, a long time ago? Was it that long ago? Anyway, remember I, I uh, oh, I was stopping a bike uh, crashing into Susan, and I gave this guy a backhand, and I whacked the the, oh, yeah. the, the bedside table, right? Yeah. So I'm, uh, on top of everything else I'm doing in my house, of course, I'm putting in a new floor in my bedroom, so I don't have a bed. I, there's nothing in my bedroom. You should see my kitchen. Um, but I'm sleeping on the Murphy bed, and I have this dream, this big, uh, gray, big Mustang car comes racing towards me, and I'm it's going to hit me. And in my brain, I go, I'm going to jump so that it doesn't you know, sort of cut me off yeah. of the legs. So I, I think I jump. It screeches to a halt, and I guess I kind of fall on the ground. And the next thing I know... This guy gets out of the passenger side, and he almost—I don't know how he gets there—but he's all—he's on my level all of a sudden. He's lying on the ground, fairly close to me, looking at me. And there's I there's something between us, like um, close to his face, like there's a camera lens, like a separate lens from a camera, and there might be some electronic equipment. And I punch this fucker. He's doing a punch at the oh, camera. Oh no! But he's showing oh, us. Wait, wait, I'm showing wait. the damage. There, there, there's a cabinet next to the Murphy oh. and I just slammed this cabinet <laughs> and of course woke up instantly and was bleeding rather profusely. But uh, so apparently I get a little bit active still. Is is that part of my increased anxiety skin? Do you think, or I have no idea because your initial report was before all this wave. That's right, right. But I think you're just a person with really heavily repressed violent tendencies. That's what I think. Get <laughs> <laughs> help. That was my dream update. Just to let you guys know. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. Some... Thanks. So, as you remodel, are you going to go for like soft furniture? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe just really? furniture that isn't within an arm's reach yeah, when I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> there have been a few uh, TV uh, cop action shows that have had that as a crime, where the you know the person's laying next to another person and just slams them. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and I think they're based on real situations. And there's, I think there's even a medical term for it. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Susan, when I told Susan this one, she said. One of her first uh, sort of sleepover dates with the guy she was with before me some years ago, they were in a different town in a uh, at a conference or something, and right in the middle of the night, he just punched her in the head, oh. <laughs> and kind of a new relationship and everything. Oh. So it happens. It happens yeah. out there. The end. Okay. Good. Thank you for that. And... Uh, <laughs> Listeners, be warned. Should you ever be considering anything with McNulty, just know you might get smoked in the head in the middle of the night if you're sleeping anywhere near him. Uh, RJ, you have an item on our list here that uh, I think 
I've reflected long and hard in preparation for this good, segment. Good. <laughs> and uh, I'd like you to just, you go. You let us know, and then we will be hearing from our listeners on this. Because this is a pretty controversial yeah. It is, yeah. I think our listeners know that I'm the one that comes with the really hard-hitting queries. And uh, this one is about bananas, ripeness of bananas. I want to know what, uh, from KJ and PJ and our listeners, I want to know, give me your most clear description of what a perfect banana looks like on the outside. And what is it like on the inside? How does it taste? Going to need to know. So, uh well, you also mentioned peeling techniques here. Peeling techniques are extremely important, but uh, but also what what is a ripe banana? Let's start with that. What's what's per- not not just ripe, but what's perfect? Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. I think here. What is a perfect banana to you? And if you say, "I like mine crunchy like wood," well, okay. I think we would probably all agree that you just like unripe bananas. But I think if, if we ask for what's a perfect banana, I think that'll get it done. Yeah, I think so. so. Why don't you tell us yours first, since you brought this up. I'm sure you'll have an opinion. Theme song. This shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> well, you know, a perfect banana is going to be uh, nice and bright yellow. There can be some hints of green down maybe the corners, but just very little. There can't be swaths of green. In the distance, I hear people clicking on keyboards, doing yeah. the flame mail even now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, keep going, RJ. Keep going. Yeah, Hint and, uh, yeah inside's going to be firm but not woody. Mm-hmm. Uh, any kind of mushiness whatsoever is not acceptable. Any off-coloring or bruising needs to be cut out. Not eaten, it cannot be consumed. It can go to the compost. Yes, and uh, and as to how it gets peeled, none of this stuff like on TV or what you think a monkey might do, grabbing the top and pulling it down, and then what? Like one strip at a time, like a cartoon character does? No, 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 no. About two inches down from the top on the back of the banana, meaning the convex curve, you're going to put your thumbnail in there and just pop. There's a little a little uh, opening. And then you can just open the whole thing and completely remove the entire banana before you start eating it. Don't you get banana guck all over your hands if you do that? Well, we always wash our hands before we eat and after we eat. <laughs> I didn't ask you that. I said, do you get banana guck in your No, hands because a ripe banana does not leave guck. Well, and the other oh, thing, man. your definition of right, and then and then the other, <laughs> and then the other thing is that those little nubs that are on the top and bottom, those have to be removed and composted. They have to be composted, or oh, oh inside yeah. the Can banana. I just spit them in yes, the yes, yes. So the, the the part of the meat, it's a little bit chewy. That little bit there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's got to go. Yeah, good observation. So I think, and these are not. It's not really an opinion. These are objective facts. But I'm I'm curious <laughs> to understand. The science what your agrees. Well, yes. Science agrees that the maximum <laughs> nutritional value, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, maximum hygiene, maximum. Wow. Okay, KJ, you go because you okay. just know that I'm going to have issues. With okay, you. I'll go. go. I'll go. Um, um, I don't mind that one, RJ. The uh, firm, fairly firm, 
but I my standards go to I like to see a few brown flecks on the outside of the banana, not necessarily green. Although uh, uh, I probably won't open a green anything with green on it. I'll just let it sit for another couple of days. You're right. You don't want a squishy banana at all. Um, I always open it from the top, like uh, the cartoons. Monkeys open it from the other end, don't they? Oh, maybe so. I don't know. In real life, they in real they, life, yeah. Um, and sometimes I struggle with that. You end up kind of <laughs> crimping the banana inside, and that I don't like that. So your initial incision, how do you make it? I'm I'm hoping that it just snaps, but that also infers oh. a softer banana. In, that's a risky. That's risky because yeah. it doesn't snap. You've gushed the top. That's in. right. And so I often get a surgical instrument, perhaps a knife, and do the oh. little. It, it, but that's right at the top. I haven't yeah. thought of the convex backbone of the thing four vertebrae down. I haven't oh, okay. done that, but I, okay. I, perhaps I'll try that next time. That's no, because you, like most rational people, don't want a whole bunch of banana guck on your fingers. Yes, like, yes. But the whole beauty of the fruit is that you don't have to get all messed up eating it. So KJ, when you eat it, do you hold the banana by its peel on the bottom? Indeed I do. Okay. I never touch a bare banana. Okay. You I, work well, your way down. Very rarely, unless something's gone wrong with the opening. <laughs> also, I'd like to uh, throw in a little thing here for peanut butter and banana sandwiches. And I would accept a brown spot in that banana because you're going to mash it up with a fork. Gotcha. And uh, 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 maybe oftentimes we got, when we were young, peanut butter banana sandwiches because the bananas were a little bit over, not brown or anything, but they're over the... Past their prime. Past their prime. There you go. And and we, I'm sure we will hear about banana bread in response to this line Yes, of, of course. If you yes. leave bananas long enough... They will automatically turn into banana bread. That's what I've heard. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> just well. in the fridge. So you you peel it off, and inside there's like bread yeah. with walnuts. That's well, right. no, you toss a little yeast in there and a little uh, <laughs> flour, and then just keep it closed in the fridge for twelve days, uh, yeah. and you're done. <laughs> well, here's a follow-on to all of that. Have any of you guys ever frozen and then used an overripe banana? Like you know. Yes. Oh, throw them in the fridge, and then we'll make them into banana bread later. You've actually done it, eh? Sue does it all the time, yeah. Oh, yeah. way to go then, Sue. Way to go. Because my experience has been I freeze it, and then it just defers the throwing it out process. It never turns into banana bread. Yeah, because it can be totally mashed and still be good in banana bread. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and that I think the uh, peanut butter and banana argument is the same sort of thing. You can have a pretty far-gone banana work out just fine in a peanut butter banana sandwich mm -hmm. i think yeah. i think so for me i'm i'm well on to right the next on... topic no <laughs> <laughs> so. well i just want to establish uh again my long-standing claim of being the average canadian i'm pretty sure our user emails will support the contention that mine is the average response because already in this sample of three two of us are on the page, Rich, and you're not one of them. Uh, I like mine yellow with maybe maybe one or two brown spots on the outside, not 20 or 30, really literally like two or three is perfect. I do make an incision, usually with my thumbnail, and just crack it open from the top and eat it just like a cartoon guy. 
and I peel a banana down and consume it. So you got right like those, you got those things hanging down. You bet. Yep, I'm sure there's a, right over the I'm sure there's a technical name for those. <laughs> I'm sure there is, and I'm sure you'll grace us with it before we're done here. Panels. Um, <laughs> and that is how you enjoy a banana, because when you open it, as I've described, you get rid of the top little nub, and you just eat your way down and don't eat the bottom little nub. Mm-hmm. You get the nice combination of texture and sweetness. I really dislike it when I eat a banana that... When they're a little bit green, they actually taste a little bit like sap, like tree sap. They they taste green. I don't like that. I don't want that. They're easier to work with, yeah, but that flavor thing, no, no, no. And if you go past more than about a dozen dots, you get into problems with texture. They're too squishy. They're crazy sweet. And I think there's a whole school of thought that says that's when you really should eat them and for their maximum nutritional benefit. But I'm out for that. Unless I'm making a sandwich or somebody else is making banana bread, those bananas are doomed. They're done. Finished. But you're the only one who does the cool thing to slit them down. On Boy Scouts, they did it. You know, you cook them in the fire with chocolate, split them like that, then cut the banana, then load it up with uh, chocolate chips, then wrap it in foil and throw it in the fire and enjoy a cooked banana afterwards. I have never heard of that. It's the only time I ever did that with the peel. To me, it just seems, I mean, I've teased you a lot, but really, literally, handling the peeled banana is just kind of, it doesn't do it for Uh, me. uh, I don't like it. And the other thing, too, is, you know, if I want to pause while I'm consuming that banana, (laughs) if I've got the peels on the side, I can just sort of turn the banana upside down so the peels flip and then I can lay it down on its peel. Exactly. I don't mess up the counter. I don't mess up my hands. I can come back to it. It's protected from going brown because oxidation is slowed down. Life is good. I mean, I think only a fool actually (laughs) takes the whole banana out and eats it like that, like you do, because you're committed to the whole. I mean, it's just, you're crazy. And I'm pretty sure our listener mail will support the strength of my feelings on it's this. It's fantastic. As well as the substance. <laughs> I'm them, done so with yeah. the yellow peel. It's in the compost. I'm just, oh, it's just heavenly. <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, keep on pitching. Uh, I think the avalanche is what, coming. What you end up with is these half-eaten bananas sitting on no. your counter because <laughs> no, you said ever. that, well, there you go. Then, no, then what's your ever. issue with it? I can put it down, pour a cup of coffee, get the cream, put it in, all without having to pause to wash my hands because I've got banana. <laughs> How about you pour your coffee, then you peel your banana, huh? Ooh. How about the luxury of a choice? How about the luxury of thinking, you know what would go good with this coffee? A banana. That'd really go good. Or, you know what would go good with this banana? A coffee. That'd really go good. You can't do any of that. You get, Once the banana's in your hand, it's all or nothing, baby. So, yeah, I, I'm just... You're crazy. Next week, we cover grapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's some questions around grapes. They're, they're a difficult thing. What else we got to talk about? That was a good one, RJ. I enjoyed that a lot because I feel I won a resounding victory on and that. And the fans will enjoy that. Yeah, I think we'll, uh, we'll see how the votes come in. <laughs> yeah. You know, my arguments stand on their own. I don't need to counter. Yeah, no, they do stand on their own. Je- Jesse neglected. from Montreal is going to have an opinion on these <laughs> ones for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do a quick uh, album review. Um, it's an album I've only heard once. 
Uh, I usually uh, listen to quite a bit of music and usually prefer music that uh, on the first listen, it may not be great. But uh, yeah, so I, I like a band called The Fall. Marky e. Smith is the name of the guy that ran it. It was from the punk era. I think it probably took off in the 80s. I had a friend give me some maybe around 2008, I'd say. Uh, and I just think it's fantastic. Uh, but it is really punky. I will put some links in about the fall because I hardly recommend it. So what I'm actually here to talk about is a band called uh, Dry Cleaning. And uh, they're they're described as post-punk. I wouldn't have known to call it that. Uh, but that does make sense. And the album is New Long Legs. I think it's their first album. And I'm going to give you my entire review. It's a written review, so bear with me here. You're just going to have to hear me read it. You actually wrote a review. It is. And are you ready for it? Yeah. And here it comes. Drums, guitar, bass, and a talking visual artist. Lovely. That's my review. And I, Wait, I, I couldn't concentrate. I, I, I lost you there somewhere. Uh, and it, this is punk. And so, so it's just very appealing on first listen. You got your drums, your guitar, your bass. And if you listen to those three, you're not going, oh, these are virtuosos. You know, they're, I guess it's post-punk. And one of the hallmarks of punk was people really didn't even know how to play yet. And uh, these three people do know how to play, but it's just very appealing, simple rock and then um, I think they tried to get going for quite a while, and uh, they were going nowhere. And then the lead singer, don't know her name, she is a visual artist. She's not even a singer. And uh, she just has these great lyrics, kind of like uh, she's in a dream or whatever. Um, and she speaks them. And she's got a heavy British accent. Maybe Cockney, maybe, maybe not, but... but uh, Certainly an interesting accent, and it's just fun to listen to, so I'll provide a link to that. And I could tell when I listened to it, I thought, this is kind of like The Fall. And, of course, when I went and read a review, they said, yeah, they they listened to The Fall quite a bit before they did this album. So, anyway, that's my recommendation. Boy, oh boy your musical um, depth is... I've been wondering quite a bit in the last year or two, whatever happened to my musical anything. I just never listened to music, and I don't know why. I did used to listen to it quite often, but I just do not. I don't. Well, it's just a thing. I have the same problem with uh, reading books. I've yeah. got my whole little, you know, I've got, oh, I'm not doing anything right now. I think I'll just open Twitter. And it's a yeah. nice, uh, I usually learn something interesting, and I just read, but it's, I'm never reading anything. Occasionally, I hit a long article. And I'm halfway through the article. I think this is great. This is great depth. I'm only halfway through. I think I'll skim to the end now. <laughs> you know, like, and it's <laughs> yeah. a little sad. I'm I'm working. I'm thinking of and listeners. You might have some suggestions, but I'm thinking of some strategy where I kick myself off social media and I get some strategy where I'm just going to read books in those situations where. I feel like just having a quick read through. I don't know. I, I need some strategy. I, books are just marvelous, and, and I need to get back on them. I have about 10 or 20 of my most recently purchased or gifted books that I haven't read, and I think each and every one of them would be excellent. I find reading for only 15 or 20 minutes is challenging because I have a problem, and I know most of our listeners would agree that that's a challenge in general. 
um, I think in a good book, do you guys find that sometimes you're reading a good book and these characters keep flying at you and you go, okay, they're talking about this person. Like I should know who they are. I have no idea who they are. Like I, I forget names. You, you guys don't have that issue. Yeah. No, I read fluffy, lightweight books, though. So I don't read books. So I'm exactly. You know, I just read. <laughs> I just read junky novels mostly, and well, one of the things over the years that has very often surprised me: there's some function in your brain. So you're reading a book, right? You're going along. You get interrupted. Maybe you mark the corner. Maybe you don't. But you put it down. Maybe you put it down, open, face down, open. You come back to the book a day later maybe two days later, you pick it up and your eyes go to the very paragraph where you stopped. Like you stopped at the end of a paragraph and your eyes go to the opening line of the very next paragraph. You haven't even thought about it. You haven't, as you approach the book, you weren't thinking, where was I this thing anyway? You just go into the book to pick it up to read. You pick it up, open it so you can see the words and your eyes go boof. And then you think, where was I in this book? And then you think, oh, I was right here. And I'll figure that that's happened again and again and again. There's some processing going on yeah. behind the scenes. Do you think it might just be you, Skinny? I think it's uh, it's not everyone, and it's definitely not me. I think I think I would love that, but I have to mark my pages to know where to well, go. I'll mark the page maybe, but it's it's the place on the page. I have that to mark the page place on the page. Ooh, yeah, so I yeah. I'm. I'm an unrepentant uh, page bender and I bend the page precisely to the paragraph where I'm at, but I have no recollection of where I was. And usually I'm wondering, and I start reading and I have no idea what they're talking about. So I'll kind of flip back the last couple pages and try and reorient. I remember I, I bought a John le Carre book once. It was a used book, actually. I can't remember which, which title it was, but I was having that problem where character after character, I'm going, what is he talking about? He clearly thinks I know who this character is. So, bet you, I bet you a dollar it was Smiley's people. Because could be, I read a bunch of that, and that one was rough for that. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. And it's a rich, it it's a beautiful book. But yeah. Um, so what I did was I turned. There were a couple blank pages. I think it was at the back or the beginning, maybe the beginning. And so I started over, and every single character, the moment they're introduced, I wrote their name down on the page that they're introduced on. And I might, <laughs> I, I'm, I might have written something like Smiley's father. I might have done. Did it work? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I'll sh and I've got a visual aid here, and I guess I'll, I'll scan it and put it on the site. But um, soon I watch these shows, and sometimes it's the same problem, especially if you if they're weekly shows and you you can't binge them. We see characters show up, and oh, that's the guy with the beard. Oh darn, there's two people with a beard. I have no clue who this guy is, right? Mm. Um, oh, there's two babies involved. I'm I'm thinking a mayor of East Town right now, which is just a great HBO show with Kate Winslet. And uh, there's a couple characters with beards, or there's a couple babies. One is only uh, four months old, and one is about four, or one is one year old, one is four years old. Well, I got you know, I don't remember those details, so I'd go, who's is this again? So anyway, I, I often will do this, and Sue Sue likes it too. She doesn't just laugh at it, but it's a, it's a picture of, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you got all the characters, right? <laughs> the first three episodes, what their relationships are to each other, a little note about each one. Wow. And uh, I found that I did that uh, a few months back for a series, 
and it paid off like I did never refer to it again. It's like writing the answers to a test yeah, on your yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this one, we did refer to it a few times, but... I mean, I laughed there a lot because it's a very complicated thing, but good on you. Because another thing that I often do is just I'm mentally lazy about the whole thing. I just oh, I don't remember who that guy is. Because you know, if it matters, you're going to find out sooner rather than Maybe later. or maybe not. Nine times out of 10. And again, mm. I do think there's something here about the caliber of show I typically watch too. They're not aimed at complexity and deeply satisfying complex emotional relationships. They're, they're aimed at things getting blowed up real good so you don't have to do a lot of character development, have a lot of rotating characters. Since we're on this uh, <laughs> Mayor of Easttown's excellent show, it's got uh, Jean Smart in it, who I've never heard of, but she's, apparently she's been in a lot of shows. She was in Designing Women. Anyway, I saw that she's in Hacks, so I watched two episodes of Hacks, and that's got to be one of the best shows going on TV right now as well. Is Hacks is Hacks fairly new? Yeah, it's brand new. It just started about oh. three, four days ago. And the way HBO does it is when it comes out, they only release two episodes. And then from then on, it's weekly. Because uh -huh. their model, I think they hope to get uh, water cooler talk going on. Uh Oh my God, she is a, a, a Jean's smart plays uh, comedian starting to get into washed up territory because she's in Vegas <laughs> and she, this is, she's in Vegas and she does the comedy and they're actually not bad jokes, but they are kind of old school and she gets paired up with a young writer who's like 22 years old or something. So the relationship between the two women is just awesome. And it's not caricature like at all, but it's also very funny. So highly recommend hacks. Um, I'd like to go back to Rachmaninoff just for a second. Alan of East Van near Main Street sent me this. And it's a YouTube thing called the most elegant key change in all of pop music. Uh, you guys familiar with that? No. Is this by that guy Rick, whatever his name Rick is? Who does the yeah? Uh, no, it's not yeah. him. On February, it's uh, Adam Neely. Yes, and you sent us this because I'm pretty oh. sure. I think you did because I listened to this about a month ago. Oh, okay, okay, I did then. Just and because it's great, isn't it? It's, it's fascinating, and I love that they had to buy the rights from the Rachmaninoffs. <laughs> Yes, to <laughs> all by song. myself. Because, he, yeah, who, or, yeah, whoever wrote that had to pay for all by myself because he, he stole from The Rock, whatever it was. I'm not sure it wasn't. A, it, Eric it, Carmen stole all by myself from Rock. Well, just the theme, the, the, yeah. the theme is a definite Rachmaninoff. And I thought, I, I, I'm amazed that he'd have to pay for that. I thought that would have been long gone into the public Same. domain. Exactly. But. So was Rachmaninoff, he was probably a... Uh, 20th century composer, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Early. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. I think he was in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, well, I guess. That's fun because I think Randy Bachman on Vinyl Tap did an episode of pop hits that were based on classical music. Uh, and there's there's actually been quite a few of them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As it turns out. That uh, Vinyl Tap, fun show. Don't have to love Randy Bachman to love that show. Anyway, I just, I just thought, I, I really enjoyed that uh, little video too, the, just the way the guy goes through it, you know. I'll put a link in the show notes to that one. I'll also put a link and Rick Beato finally got to meet Joni Mitchell. Oh, cool. I'll watch that. But I heard a really excellent uh, interview 
where they talked about how she strung her guitar, how she tuned her guitar, oh, yeah, yeah. how foreign it was to everybody else that she worked with, particularly Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Yep. Uh, and all the really, really cutting edge stuff that she did in her music throughout her whole career. I know. We didn't really know. We just thought she does great music. Yeah. Like really technically proficient, not just guys who know how to play an instrument. I, I didn't really know that. Mm. And she's a really prime example of that. Mm-hmm. Well, he does a, a great uh, thing on Amelia. Um, Rick Beato does uh, his favorite songs. And he, he just gets so, mm. he's so enthusiastic that it's just infectious. Yeah. Um, I heard him do uh, songs by The Who as well. And you're going, oh, man. And all of a sudden, you're loving the song. You've heard it before. You like it. Yeah. Now you're loving it because he makes it come alive. And so Joni Mitchell, someone said, hey, Joni, you should listen to this thing that this guy did on his YouTube channel about Amelia. And the next thing you know, he gets an invitation to go to lunch with her. And, you know, that's nice on two levels because you like the guy. He's got a bit of an ego, but he clearly, he can play guitar like you wouldn't believe. And he's a producer and he's got a lot of good experience and he's just a nice, anyway, I like him. But the other thing that I like about it is that, oh, good, Joni Mitchell is seems to be doing well because if you asked me five or 10 years back, I would have said, Oh man, I don't think she's going to be around much longer. Nobody's hearing from her. I thought she was kind of dangerously ill, you know, lifetime smoker. And, but she, she's actually doing pretty well right now. Happy to hear that. There's one about this woman who lives on a big farm in China. And all she does is videos about classic Chinese foods and crafts that are made right from the ground up. You know, Mm -hmm. you kill the pig, you get the hide, you tan the hide, you you know, all this stuff. And she just does these videos and they're, they're just fascinating because you just sort of think, Holy Dinah, I had no idea you could even do that with this kind of fruit or something. You know, and she's just really keen on it. It's just a history exploration for her. For us, for me, it's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe they're making those beautiful things out of those ingredients, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. It's fun. They, uh, I've heard it described as competence porn. <laughs> yeah. Like you, that's pretty you, good. You, you watch these people <laughs> that's very do good. amazing crafting or, you know, clearly have yeah. put in the years to know what they're doing. So, yeah. I think that is very, cause that's what the mechanical guys that I watch, you know, like Marty T the guy in New Zealand or musty one, the guy in New Hampshire, they've just fixed lawnmowers and stuff. That's the draw. They're super competent and they just make everything. They don't exactly make it look easy, but they make everything that they do look very doable. Mm -hmm. You just kind of think, if I just have this video handy, I'm pretty sure I can rebuild an old John Henry tractor. (laughs) (laughs) If I have the tools. It was Beato, right? B-E-A-T-O. Yeah, B-E-A-T-O, yeah. Pretty good to get him on your feed. What else do we have here? Spam Musubi. Uh, I just wondered whether you guys had ever heard of it. So it's sushi actually made with Spam, and it's quite popular. I don't know if it's a hipster thing, a cool kid thing. I haven't tried it myself, but apparently it's it's really good. And it's Where is popular. it popular, Skin? Uh, here in Greater Vancouver. Oh, really? I'll bet yeah. you. I'll bet you it's from Hawaii. I think you're right, actually. Because yeah, Hawaii is a big right. spam country uh, state. They love their spam and a large Japanese population there. Yeah, no, so, I think yeah. you're right, RJ. I, I can't remember where I heard about this thing first, probably Twitter. 
and I just had I thought, wow, spam as sushi. I mean, you guys all had spam when we were kids growing up. Your parents would serve it to you when they were, you know, at the table when it was time for a grocery run. The day before the grocery run, you're getting spam. And I just thought having it in sushi. And I just wondered if you guys had ever tried it, had heard of it. K or RJ, you've heard of it. KJ, you? No, no, never heard of it. Well, I bet you can get it on the drive. I, I don't think that I would sample that. I'm not sure. Oh, I a hundred would. I totally would. Well, I mean, you no, either seriously. do or you don't like spam. And if if you're not a spam fan, I can't I can't imagine. Oh, but I, I love me some spam. But I love me some spam. No, I like spam. I haven't had it in decades, but I used to like it. So uh, it, and spam is uh, cooked, isn't it? It's cooked meat. I think so. You can, you can just slice it like bologna, basically. And you can just yes. eat it right out of the can. Yeah, if you yeah, want. It's, okay, it's good okay. in sandwiches. It's good fried. Yeah, it can't be good for you, I would think. But uh, well, yeah. if if I ever see one on the menu, maybe I'll get a sample item. Yes, or, or split four between friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and yeah, that whole can't be good for you. I'm thinking, oh, it's probably really super salty for one thing. Yeah, very salty, high in high in fats, and uh, darn yeah. tasty fried. But lasts a long time in the can, though, doesn't it? It's yeah. You can just have that in the pantry for years. Do you remember the key? Yeah, yeah. The key oh, was yeah, attaching. Yeah. I used to love doing. They that still have them. And yeah. the perfect spam sandwich, in my opinion, is uh, bread. And of course, uh, it would be white bread back in the day. Yeah. And uh, layer of mayonnaise, uh, two pieces of spam because they fit a piece of bread perfectly. A layer of lettuce over that. Mayo on the other side, and another piece of bread. And that How thick. Uh, the the spam should be, uh, I'd say, just a little bit under a centimeter, maybe eight oh, millimeters that's thick. Really thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fairly so more thick. than a quarter inch. Oh, thick. yes. Wow. Yeah, you should feel your teeth go wow. into it. <laughs> no mustard, <laughs> like, RJ. No mustard. In. No mustard for this boy. Not. Yeah, not no. With I spam. wasn't a mustard guy when I was a kid, so the sandwiches I got are almost exactly what RJ described. Yeah, I love mustard, but just not not for uh, spam, not for salmon. Not for no, but ham, yeah, for ham, yes, absolutely. Roast yeah. beast, yes, yes. It's funny, I, I just hadn't until I saw this, and I put that in this list quite a while ago, I think, and forgot about it. And I haven't had spam in decades, and yet here I am, feeling quite fondly towards it. So you're craving it right now, aren't you, Skin? Kind of, yeah. It's <laughs> I've made the classic mistake of going shopping while hungry, and I'm hungry right now. <laughs> It does. It never ends well. Sue's mom used to give us uh, spam as a gift from time, a food gift. You know. We've come to the end of another tour of duty here. We hope you had some fun. We hope you let us know either way. Let us know. I'll just leave it at that. No matter how you feel, let us know about it. And we will act accordingly, whatever that might turn out to. We are shuddogs at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, yes, and our website is sheddogs.ca. The CA is for Canadian content. WWW is not required per Jesse of Montreal. <laughs> that was actually specifically with him in mind. That, I put it that, way. that is all we have, though. We hope you did have fun. We hope you take care of yourself. And we hope you come back. Because we'll still be here. We'll still be talking about stuff. So come on back and see what we've got next. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Bye. Bye. No, really. <laughs>